This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. I think, in keeping with what I talked about yesterday, it's important to follow up with something that... Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse recently penned in the stream. I appreciate all of these people who are keeping us up to speed on how Christians are being treated in this age of censorship. And it's getting nuts out there. One of my continuing irritations is that journalism, as you know, has gone from being about reporting the news and giving you facts and letting you decide what you think to becoming leftist activists. And there are not many leftist activists who can top NBC. NBC is one of the worst. NBC and MSNBC, they're terrible. I really can't come up with any kind of hyperbolic way of expressing that. I'll just say flat out, they're terrible. They're activists of the worst kind. And Dr. Morris points this out in this article that she recently wrote where she says NBC News is doing a full court press against pro-family organizations with three smear pieces in the last three weeks of 2020. These stories aim to eliminate pro-family groups from polite society and routine business transactions. And even worse, these NBC News stories are scapegoating and marginalizing Christians. Why? Well, because Christians are to blame for all the troubles in the world. I mean, yeah, well, of course, go back to Nero. Christians started the Great Fire. Don't you remember? Nero said so. It had to be true. Well, let's look at some of these stories. The first one is from December 9th. And on December 9th, NBC News published a story cataloging 14 organizations on the Southern Poverty Law Center's hate list that received Paycheck Protection Program forgivable loans. Now, what is the first problem here? The first problem here is listening to the Southern Poverty Law Center designate anybody as a hate group because nobody's a bigger hate group than the SPLC. The SPLC, might I remind you, is the organization that put together a hate map by which unhinged people who do the bidding of the left could go and see where some of these pro-family organizations were located and like this crazy domestic terrorist did back in 2012, locate the headquarters of the Family Research Council and go there with a gun and the intent to do a massacre and then shove Chick-fil-A sandwiches into everybody's faces because they're so anti-gay. Remember that? By the grace of God, it didn't happen, but it was terrifying and I don't even think they ever took down that hate map. So last I checked, they hadn't. And that was, you know, over the course of many years since this has occurred. So they're still listening to the SPLC about who is and who is not a hate group. Now, remember what the SPLC has been involved in. They had to get rid of their founder and they had all kinds of shenanigans going on, accusations of racism and whatnot behind the scenes. So they're awful. They're just plain awful. So this story for NBC News is assuming that anybody the SPLC designates as a hate group must, in fact, be a hate group. Listen to what they say. They did this analysis based on hate groups designated by the Southern Poverty Law Center or the Anti-Defamation League that receive PPP money and primarily focused on advocating against immigrants 
what does that even mean? And opposing the advancement of homosexual and transgender rights. I'm going to stop them right there and say, what more do you want? You got a redefinition of marriage. You went so far beyond your wildest dreams of once upon a time referring to your own lifestyles as alternative lifestyles. Now you've got full-blown fake marriage. And yet it continues. We want the Equality Act. We want this. We want that. We want. And you know, when they get the Equality Act, that won't be enough either. You're never allowed to say anything about the agenda of big gay in anything more than, you know, anything less, I should say, than full celebration. NBC News cross-checked the PPP data against 73 different designated hate groups whose work and advocacy focuses on attacking, maligning, and delegitimizing entire classes of people based on their ethnicity, religion, gender, sexual orientation, or if they have a disability. Okay, what hate groups, just, just as an aside, what hate groups are trying to delegitimize people who have disabilities or any of those other things? Well, at any rate, they go after, for example, the American Family Association. They go after Church Militant, which is a Catholic organization. They go after the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Those people are not about doing mean things, advocating against immigrants. They're against illegal immigration and for the rule of law. They go against Liberty Council, the Center for Immigration Studies. They go against the Center for Security Policy. Policy, which has done great work under Frank Gaffney, holding to, you know, revealing information about the Muslim Brotherhood and trying to stand up for national security. The David Horowitz Freedom Center, another great outfit, the Pacific Justice Institute, the Clarion Project, and many more. So they're going after all of these groups. Ooh, they got paycheck protection money. Great story. Why are you why are you singling these people out? I'm not really sure. And Dr. Morris points out. 14 of these groups here that are mentioned received a total of $4.3 million in the PPP program. Meanwhile, Planned Parenthood affiliates received $80 million in funding and dozens of strip clubs qualified for between $11.5 million and $27.9 million in COVID disaster relief. I guess that's not a scandal. No word about those organizations. So they did another story. And the next story was December 12th. Here's the headline on that one. Anti-gay nonprofits and businesses received millions in COVID-19 aid. So they're kind of back on the same train here. They cite the American College of Pediatricians, the American Family Association, the Center for Family and Human Rights, CFAM, that's Austin Ruse's group, Church Militant again, Liberty Council, Pacific Justice Institute, and the Ruth Institute, which was also cited in the last story. Anti-LGBTQ hate groups, they call them because the Southern Poverty Law Center said so due to their alleged vilification of queer people. There's no evidence that there's any vilification of queer people going on, but it doesn't really matter because NBC doesn't care whether or not there's actual vilification. All they care about is they want to delegitimize people according to their religion. which is what they're accusing these groups of doing, delegitimizing people. They're the ones doing the delegitimization. Boy, that's a long word. Then you have the December 23rd story here at NBC News. Dozens of anti-gay groups are making money off Amazon's charity platform. Cue scary music. More than 40 anti-LGBTQ organizations are skirting Amazon's smiles ban on promoting hatred and intolerance. What it really is, is you can't believe that homosexuality is wrong anymore. You just can't. You can be nice to your gay neighbors. You can be lovingly sharing the gospel with people who live a lifestyle that is sinful. 
And not just with homosexuals, but you could share the gospel with people who are living together outside of marriage. You can share the gospel with polyamorous couples or what have you. Everybody's a sinner and there's various types of sin that people engage in every single day. They all need the hope of Jesus Christ. And it is the job of the Christian to love our neighbors as ourselves, to pray for people and to share the love of Jesus Christ with them so they will be saved and they will be brought into the kingdom of God. That's what it's all about. But no, no, you have to be designated as anti-LGBTQ because apparently that is the greatest sin in the brave new world. Who did they go after? Well, first they cite the fact that the Family Research Council and Alliance Defending Freedom have already been removed from the Amazon Smile platform after complaints by human rights groups. Neither of those organizations are violating human rights. It's ridiculous for anybody to with a straight face, make that kind of a charge. But according to Open Democracy, there's a good source, more than 40 organizations listed on Amazon Smile still openly work against LGBTQ rights. Again, they cite the American Family Association. They cite the family leader for saying homosexuality is a public health risk. They cite Focus on the Family. They cite the National Organization for Marriage, the American Center for Law and Justice, et cetera, et cetera. What's the upshot of all of this? Demonization. Demonization, we're back to Alinsky's rules for radicals. You freeze them and polarize them and dehumanize them and all the rest. That's what you do. You make the opposition look like haters and look like dangerous extremists. And if you tout this kind of propaganda loudly enough and often enough, there are a number of low information voters and low information Americans who will listen to it and immediately accept it because NBC said so except it's not true. This is what we're up against. This is what we have to fight back against because it's only going to get worse. We'll be coming back with Alan Gottlieb talking about this terrible new gun control legislation. Stay with us. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. With everything going on in our world today, life can seem pretty dismal. We have a pandemic, riots, racial tension, and you might be asking, how can I make any difference? Well, here's one way you can make a huge difference in someone's life, through the ministry of Preborn. Preborn is dedicated to saving babies' lives from abortion through offering free ultrasounds to pregnant women in crisis. And when women in crisis pregnancies see their babies on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, eight out of 10 times, they'll choose life for their children. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the USA. And preborn centers are often situated in the highest risk abortion hotspots, competing with Planned Parenthood for babies' lives. The mainstream media doesn't want you to know that Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, had a racist legacy stemming from her well-documented connections with the eugenics movement. If you want to help make a difference in the midst of chaos, please support preborn. One ultrasound is just $28 and five ultrasounds are $140, saving five babies' lives. 100% of your donations goes to saving babies' lives. Please call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Here's one mom talking about what preborn has meant to her. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry, and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. Uh, she's been such a joy. Her name even means rebirth and sort of being raised up from the ashes. Uh, I now see my daughter, and I cannot imagine my life without my happy, lovely, joyful, smart baby, and I'm so grateful. 
Would you please join with Janet Meffer today and Preborn in the Cause for Life? When you donate, you'll get a picture of an ultrasound along with stories of other babies' lives who you helped to save. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Once again, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Are you ready for some serious gun control lunacy from the Democrats? Well, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee is here for it. She recently introduced H.R. 127, which not only requires gun and ammunition licensing and retroactive gun registration, but if you want to bear arms under this measure, you'd also have to pass a psychological evaluation. It's true. My next guest calls it insanity on steroids. I couldn't agree more. And we're going to get some more thoughts now from Alan Gottlieb, who is founder of the Second Amendment Foundation and chairman of the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. Alan, so good to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Oh, it's great to be back with you, Janet. Yeah. Tell us what we need to know about this insanity on steroids. I guess it shouldn't come as a surprise, but this is really over the top. It's very much over the top. H.R. 127, Sheila Jackson Lee uh, sponsored this bill. Uh, She's got co-sponsors to it as well. Uh, And basically everything you just said that's in the bill is in it. And of course, the worst part of it is this so-called, you know, you know, mental health check, so to speak, if you make sure that you're uh, a psychological evaluation to determine if you're suited, unsuited or suited to own a firearm. and in addition to that, uh, successful licensees after your license must show that you have an insurance policy, which will cost $800 or more to be able to get if you can get it. Uh, and so by throwing these roadblocks in the way, it's a way of denying you know, lots of people the right to be able to purchase or own a firearm, not just in the future, but retroactively, as you said. Uh, this is unbelievable. And and. I guess I could say it that Sheila Jackson must have skipped high school civics <laughs> because this legislation treats firearms owners like second-class citizens for exercising their Second Amendment rights. I mean, I think it's just a total outrage that a member of Congress could even consider such a measure, much less propose it become law. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is just so off the chart. So the attorney general under this bill through the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives would establish a system for licensing the possession of firearms or ammunition in the United States. And then again, with the registration. What about the legality of this? I mean, obviously, under the Second Amendment, this is a big offense. But isn't it against federal law to do some of these things as well? Well, I would think the psychological background check, uh, which, of course, they don't explain what that's going to be, uh, is an outrage that is probably unconstitutional. Yeah. You know, gun registration has, has been not ruled as unconstitutional unless the registration actually is done in a way that denies you from the process of registering. Okay. So part of the bill may be constitutional, but it's bad public policy. But then part of it probably is definitely unconstitutional as well. But I want to add, we have not only Senator, I mean, Congresswoman uh, Jackson Lee, but in the Senate, you now have today uh, Senator Durbin, who's now uh, chairing the Judiciary Committee, tweeted out that gun control is now a priority for the Democrats uh, and, his, and his Judiciary Committee in the Senate. So, so when this gets through the House, they're going to be moving it quickly in the Senate as well. Uh, he tweeted this out, his message, and they were going after gun owners in both the House and the Senate. Wow. 
Wow. But I mean, people shouldn't be completely surprised because we know what the left's agenda is when it comes to our Second Amendment rights. But it's interesting because it kind of begs the question, what are they planning to do that would require disarming the American citizenry? Well, this is, this, this, you know, is something that a lot of people are asking. And of course, this record amount of distrust of government to begin with right now and throwing fuel on the fire like this is, is, is not smart. Uh, and, and not in the country's interest by any stretch of the imagination. So I, you know, don't want to speculate to what they, you know, why they want to do this. But it's obviously gun control to them is people control, mm. and they want to control people who don't agree with their agenda. Right. Well, it, going back to the retroactive gun registration, why in the world would I have to answer for a gun that I bought maybe 20 years ago if I have no criminal record and there's no need for the government to be tracking me? Would they still require a psychological evaluation on me if I weren't buying new guns or would they also try to do it if you were just a gun owner for a long period of time? Well, the way I read it is that when you're forced to register, it, you're going to have to go through the evaluation. So even though you've owned this gun forever, you know, there is no national federal gun control registration. Some states have registration systems, but you have to register this gun with the federal government and go through this psychological evaluation. And, and the government would determine the criteria for the psychological evaluation, right? I'm assuming so. And I guess they also don't talk about the cost of it. You'd have to bear the cost of this evaluation as well. So it's making gun ownership priced out of the market between the insurance policy you'd have to get, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, $800 minimum for an insurance policy for your, for your handgun, say, plus the cost of the evaluation, plus the cost of the registration and everything else. What they've done is that's far exceeds the cost of buying the gun. Yes. Yes. So it's discouraging people from actually owning a gun because they would be priced out in a lot of cases. It's a definite chilling effect on exercising your Second Amendment rights. Good grief. Yeah, I'm looking at the text of this bill and it says the evaluation, meaning the psychological evaluation being proposed here, is conducted by a licensed psychologist approved by the attorney general. So uh, what is this? And the attorney general is going to sit there with a list of psychologists and just assign them to different regions. And then those psychologists have to bring all the gun owners through. And then it talks about uh, as deemed necessary, the evaluation included a psychological evaluation of other members of the household in which the individual resides. And I'm sure they're going to say it's because you don't want to have another, you know, school shooter. You don't want to have, you know, like the Sandy Hook shooter or somebody like that, somebody who's truly mentally imbalanced. But what business does the government have interviewing my family? What, if well, they don't well, have any let, cause. Let me, go, let, let me go to another part of this. Let's just say you're a psychologist and this is the law. And somebody comes into you and they've been willing to pay you the fees to be able to do this. But, but if for some reason uh, the person passes your psychological evaluation and uses the gun improperly, uh, are you going to be sued or held liable? Right. Or if that's the case, are you, as, as a psychologist, are you even going to want to do the check? Of course not. So what's going to happen is it's going to be very difficult to even find a psychologist who's going to want to do it unless they're totally anti gun to begin with. They're just going to say, no, you shouldn't own a gun. Hmm. Good grief. So I understand also from further reading that you would even have to have a license to display an antique firearm, that it's not just a firearm that you might have for your own protection, but it looks like even firearms that you never intend to shoot, you would have to have a license for those too. Correct. This is gun control apocalypse. Uh, I mean, I mean, they put everything they can throw into it without saying they're going to ban the gun directly, which would be unconstitutional. So they're trying to do everything they can to sidestep and get around the Second Amendment. And, 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 you know, sit there and shred your Second Amendment rights. 
Good grief. So do you think that this has any chance of passing? Obviously, we have Democrats. The left is firmly in control of Congress and they, they you know, the whole executive branch as well. Uh, would this actually pass, though? Because I'm wondering if every single Democrat would look at this and say, yeah, that sounds reasonable and constitutional. I'll go with it. There might be some outliers. But w- what do you think the chances are that this could actually become law? Well, uh, maybe 50-50. Uh, I, I think in the House, it has a slightly better chance than in the Senate, uh, but it's going to be tight in both places. And of course, I don't trust Joe Biden at all. No. Uh, he's been he, he's supported every gun control bill he's ever seen. So I can't believe he wouldn't support this one. Uh, and, I, and again, I don't think that she would have introduced this or that Senator Durbin uh, would have said gun control is their number one priority coming up in the House just in the Senate Judiciary Committee unless they got approval from the White House to begin with. So I think this is a a definite three-prong attack, attacking gun owners and gun ownership in America. It's crazy. And I know during the campaign, President Biden wanted all this executive action to regulate firearms and ammunition, repeal the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, reviving the federal assault weapons ban, universal background checks, et cetera, et cetera. Is there more to come along these lines, Alan? I mean, this sounds bad enough, but we've also, as I understand it, have some other bad gun bills that are pending before Congress. H.R. 125 is is all about a seven-day waiting period before a semi-automatic firearm or silencer, et cetera, could be transferred. I mean, what do you think of legislation like that? Well, again, when they're talking about you know, the, the suppressors, you go through months to be able to get one to begin with. And when you go to transfer that, you still go through months you know, to do it. So saying seven days is, is like, you know, it doesn't mean anything because whoever wrote the bill doesn't know the current law to start with. But the other thing I'm concerned about is, you know, we had under the, uh, under the Obama administration, something called Operation Choke Point. Yeah. which is trying to stop uh, funding either in you know, credit card usage by firearms dealers and manufacturers or lines of accredited banks where the administration was trying to blow up the, the financing behind you know, gun sales and, and, and gun manufacturing. Uh, President Trump reversed that with an executive order, uh, and that executive order just got put on hold until the new ch- uh, chancellor of, of, the, of the currency is, is uh, confirmed by uh, Congress. Uh, and so right now uh, we're looking at, I think, another pronged attack. Alan, let me ask you also about another bill that I guess is in the works. This is H.R. 167, closing the so-called gun show loophole. Uh, hasn't it been the case, though, that the DOJ has said that it's not a big problem, that most criminals don't get firearms at gun shows? So, so what of that? Yeah, I think it's less than 1% of the criminals get their, their guns at gun shows. And, of course, if you're a licensed firearms dealer at gun shows, you go through all the background checks now anyway. And uh, significant states have laws that, that make anybody go through a background check to start with. Again, all these things are done, Janet, just to throw more and more roadblocks in, in, in front of gun ownership. Yeah. I mean, gun owners and guns are being demonized by the Democrats in control of Congress and the White House right now. Yeah, they are. Well, and gun sales have been breaking records, haven't they, in the last couple of years? Well, yeah, and more so since the election uh, and after Democrats took control of everything, because everybody wants to go out and buy a gun now before the government says you can't have one. People yeah. aren't stupid. They're voting with their pocketbooks, their dollars, and buying firearms. Yeah. That's right. What do you think is the best thing that people can do to fight back against this and let their voices be heard? Well, uh, we've started a program called the Second Amendment First Responders. And they just go to their cell phone and text PROTECT2A to 474747. They'll get an email, a text message right back and giving them instructions on what to do to help protect their rights. So that's, so that's PROTECT2A 
text it to 474747. Well, that's wonderful. And we really appreciate the work of the Second Amendment Foundation and also your committee to keep and bear arms. This is so important right now, Alan. We really appreciate everything that you're doing to keep people informed as well. And people can find out more by doing the texting and also going to the Second Amendment Foundation for more information. Alan Gottlieb, thank you so much again, Alan. And God bless. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, scientists first discovered hydrothermal vents in the ocean in 1977 while exploring a spreading ridge near the Galapagos Islands. And to their amazement, the scientists also found that the hydrothermal vents were surrounded by large numbers of organisms that had never been seen before. But did you know that the Bible revealed the presence of these hydrothermal vents? Thousands of years ago, Job 38, 16 says, Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea, or hast thou walked in the search of the depth? Well, in fact, there are many verses in the Bible that revealed scientific truths before science with a capital S even knew about them. So we're going to talk about it now with David Reeves of David Reeves Ministries. He hosts the weekly TV show Creation in the 21st Century and is a news columnist on science and the Bible. And today we'll be discussing his book, 21 Verses Backed by Science. David, it's great to have you with us. How are you doing? It's great to be here, Janet. Thank you. You bet. Well, you hear this complaint a lot. Science is what is reliable. The Bible is a book of myths. How do you approach this issue of reconciling science with the Word of God? And even more importantly, whose authority we really should trust more? Well, you know, of course, people have have had this question for decades. But I think uh, even one of the founders of NASA uh, his name was Dr. Werner von Braun. He said a lot of people look at science and religion as antagonists. He said they're not. They're sisters. While science tries to better understand the, uh, the creation around us, religion tries to better understand the creator. Hmm. In other words, you can't have a creation. You can't have nature without the designer of nature. And so really when we look at this, we see that the two are perfectly compatible it's just that atheistic science has sort of overtaken uh, the scientific community, and we've kind of gotten things backwards. We started with man's opinion on things instead of God's Word. Oh, absolutely. And I like that you said that, because I think many people think that there's a, a, a kind of a divide between science and the Bible. You either believe science or the Bible, and it's not that way, clearly. What about this issue, though, of God's Word having superior knowledge? I, I took out one of the verses that you highlight in your book about these hydrothermal vents, which I had never heard before. I think that's really fascinating. Yet there are a lot of different different verses, as you point out in Scripture, that show the Bible revealed truth about science before science ever did. Right. Well, you know, Romans 1 actually tells us that all you have to do is look around at creation and and you see the Creator. In other words, the Bible holds these 
these truths, and it claims to be uh, divinely inspired by God himself. So if the Bible knows best, the Father knows best, and so we should be able to to test these things. The Bible tells us to prove all things, to hold fast that which is good. And we always hear faith, 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 faith. Well, listen, I read in my Bible that if we have faith the size of a, of a mustard seed, that we could move a mountain. <laughs> now, right. I certainly haven't been able to move a mountain. So what that means is that we also need to be able to strengthen our faith. And that's what these verses scattered throughout the Bible are, I believe, designed to do. I believe that God has given us these tiny indicators of just how strong our faith in Him actually is, of just how real His Word is. And, you know, you mentioned hydrothermal vents. Well, that should be major proofs that these springs in the deep that the Bible talks about are confirmed. It should say, wow, we have, a, we have a, an amazing creator, and he has designed all of these things for us to find out, for us to use science to declare his glory. Right. Well, the thing is, we haven't done that, haven't, have we? A lot of atheistic scientists have now said, well, yeah, we'll admit, okay, the Bible must have been correct. Yes, there are uh, springs in the deep, but perhaps that's where the first uh, life, the first ooze sort of started to grow into life. <laughs> and I mean, it really is taking the glory and putting it on creation. It's putting it on nature. Right. And it's, it's almost like it's elevating nature to be its own God. That's true. They do do that. They do do that. And isn't it interesting that even when they go so far as to say, well, the Bible got it right, that doesn't make them bow the knee to God necessarily. Like you said, they just use it as a jumping off point for being able to deify nature even more. Correct. And that's, I love the term you use, deify nature, because they, they act as if nature almost has a mind. They talk about natural selection. Uh, which over millions of years, natural selection just takes over and magically creates life from non-life. Wait a second. second. You've (laughs) deified, you've put on a pedestal, uh, natural selection, nature has a mind, mother nature, you've deified time, you've deified all of these components, and yet you want to claim, oh, we've done away with the need of God. No, no, you've created your own gods and you've replaced the true God of the Bible. Absolutely. Going back to Romans 1, which is exactly what Romans 1 says man will do when he rejects the truth. He will start to do things like that. Another verse that you point out since we're in the book of Job with the hydrothermal vents is Job 26, 7. This is an interesting one because you talk about the misconceptions people have had about earth being flat and all of those you know things that come up in discussions even now. And this verse says, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangs the earth upon nothing. So you make this point that long before we could see that the earth is a spherical mass, we had this verse in the Bible to go on. What do you make of it? Well, so all of these ancient cultures throughout history, some of them believed that the earth was this flat pancake-like disc sitting on top of a bunch of giant elephants, which stood on a giant turtle. Some people said, you know, that Earth was uh, basically just this solid thing, and that was all there was, that space was basically just light hanging from the top of the Earth. And yet you have all of these patterns throughout Scripture 
at a time, you know, Job is one of the oldest books of the Bible, right. uh, arguably the oldest. And so this is an ancient book written by ancient writers who, for the most part, these ancients believed in all sorts of myths and fairy tales, yet this ancient writer got it right. He said that earth is suspended on nothing. He said that, you know, we've got the earth traveling through space. All of these clues are found in the book of Job, in the book of Isaiah, in other books of the Bible. And my argument is, and I talk to atheists and agnostics all the time, uh, we have pleasant conversations because I'm not trying to attack anybody here. But the atheist and agnostics argument is that the Bible is nothing more than uh, a collection of books, a collection of myths, written by ancient sheep herders, okay, <laughs> to which I always respond, wait a second, you've got a portion of this correct. The Bible is a collection of books written by ancient shepherds, by poets, by kings, by, uh, we could go on and on, but they weren't scientists. They weren't specially historians either. Right. And yet, they got the science 100% correct. They got the history 100% correct. You know, in my opinion, there's only one way this could happen throughout an entire collection of 66 books. It had to have been divinely inspired. God gave these ancient authors the words to write down so that it would be correct. That's right. What did they say when you bring that up? Because that's an excellent point. It would be hard to refute it. Well, it is really hard to refute it, uh, to which most of the time they'll pivot. Uh, it, it'll either become an ad hominem attack. <laughs> so they're like, well, you know, you know, you are just stupid for believing in it. Uh, or they will pivot to another question. And you have to keep backing them up. You're like, okay, wait a second. Now, I will try to attempt to answer all of your questions in a logical and consistent way. But first, you have to answer mine. Why do you think that this entire collection of books that you think are just myths simply line up with 100% true history, true science, true prophecy, and truth when it comes to the gospel message? And boy, you know, they really have to think about that. Oh, absolutely. And then dodge, <laughs> run for, for, for their lives out of the room. I don't know how to yes. answer that. It's such a good point. And we're going to take a very short break. David Reeves is with us. 21 Verses Backed by Science is his book. We'll come back to the discussion after this on Janet Meffer Today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. What did you pray for today? Good health, safety, maybe to meet a goal? Those are good things to pray for. But pastors and evangelists in the Middle East aren't praying for material blessings or for an end to the persecution or difficulties they face. Rather, they're praying for copies of God's Word so that believers will be spiritually nourished and strengthened to live out their faith in this challenging part of the world. Many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in places like the Middle East, Asia, Africa, and Latin America live each day without their very own Bible. But you can send one today. Give one Bible for only $5, 20 Bibles for $100, or 200 Bibles for $1,000. Whatever you'd like to give, you can become a Bible sender by calling 800-YES-WORD. That's 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. 
800-YES-WORD. Or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not an insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT or 855-585-4237. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. It is so neat when you go through the Bible and you come across these verses that validate what scientists are only recently finding out. Isn't that amazing when we are able to look at the Word of God and say to those who are believers in Darwinian evolution and the like, hey, look what the Bible says. Look what the Bible pointed out many, many, many years before your scientists ever realized this truth. So interesting. And it all is put together in a book by David Reeves, who's with us, 21 Verses Backed by Science. We were talking before the break, David, about some of these claims that the Bible is a myth. And even if you have certain verses in the Bible that point out scientific facts and and were there for thousands of years before the scientists ever realize it, they don't really want to talk about it. Here's one. Since we've been in the book of Job, I'm going to go to one more from Job. This is Job 3926. Doth the hawk fly by thy wisdom and stretch her wings toward the south. And you also had cited another verse from Jeremiah 8 about the stork in heaven knowing her appointed times, etc. What is this about with, with birds migrating, you know, migrating patterns, those sorts of things? What do these verses really say to us about the patterns of these animals? Yeah, well, you know, I think it's obvious, Janet, that many people can see birds migrate at certain times of the year. But when we realize just how these birds are designed and the the intricate features inside of birds that allow them to migrate south and then north again as the, the weather warms up in the northern hemisphere, we just see how spectacular they are. And one of my favorite examples is the Arctic tern because the Arctic tern is this little bird. Uh, it's, it, it's not a very large bird, but they migrate an extraordinary path. In fact, uh, most uh, Arctic terns will migrate about 56,000 miles every year. They'll take a path south from Greenland. They'll go down uh, across the uh, western coast of Africa. Usually they'll turn um, eastward and they'll travel all the way to Australia, sometimes New Zealand, and then they'll spend their their summers, our winters, in Antarctica, and then they follow that warmer weather back up the next year, 56,000 miles. Mm. And most of the time, you can track these birds back to their exact same nesting grounds the next year, 56,000 miles later. How does it do that? Well, I mean, it has a built-in GPS. You look at the the hummingbird, the the smallest bird on Earth, the smallest warm-blooded creature. I mean, it can fly 34 miles per hour. It can fly forward, backwards, side to side, 
at birth, it weighs less than a post-it note placed in the palm of your hand. Mm-hmm. But these tiny, spectacular little creatures fly several thousand miles each year. They're only found in the Americas. So they'll travel from, let's just say, Canada down to Central America and back again several thousand miles. Uh, when we put bands on their legs to track them, what we find is the same hummingbird you saw in your backyard last year will probably be back in your backyard this year, thousands of miles later, (laughs) one year later. Now, I have friends who are commercial pilots, who are, uh, you know, who are private pilots. I've asked them, how does this work? Could, Could I stick you in a plane and send you several thousand miles round trip and you find your way back to the exact same spot? And, of course, the response is always the same. Well, if you took away our GPSs and our maps, no, of course not. But God has instilled in these tiny little birds a GPS system that enables them to be able to do it. And nobody understands that beyond human comprehension because a grand designer instilled those features inside the tiny hummingbird. That is so neat. I didn't realize that the exact same bird would show up the next year. That's just, that's incredible to consider because you're right that that nobody but God could put that into, you know, the little system of a bird like that. That's just extraordinary. Well, you know, people talk about, people talk about faith all the time and they'll say, well, you know, what's your faith? Oh, you know, my faith, I have a Christian faith. Well, we have to understand that our faith is not a blind faith. Right. We have evidence all around us. And if we miss that evidence, then we're missing out on one of the greatest witnessing tools of all time. How do we go out and evangelize? How do we share this good news of the gospel message with others? Well, you have to have a rock-solid faith. And that's what, that's what we love to do through the books and the TV that, that we do at our ministry. Exactly. Here's another one. There's so many and people can get your book and get a hold of all of these because they're all great. But let's go to the global flood, because this is described, obviously, in Genesis chapter seven. The waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. There are those today who would say we don't really believe there was a global flood. Does the Bible know best? What do you say to that? (laughs) I think I know the the answer. The Bible definitely knows best. Um, what you know the answers to that is in the geological column it's in the fossil record everywhere we look you know here i am in uh, near nashville tennessee and i see limestone all over the place as i go through these rock cuts through interstate highways well that limestone every geologist in the world will tell you well it was laid down by water well if you go out there to texas you're going to see permian you're going to see shale you're going to see things that is like mudstone and sandstones. Every geologist in the world will tell you that mudstones are created by water deposition, Hmm. lots of it. If you go to the Grand Canyon, you're going to see that nearly every single layer that you could set your eyes on, on that grand side of the Grand Canyon, every single layer was laid down by water deposition. Now, do you see this pattern? In other words, everywhere we look around the world, we see layers and layers of water lane depositions, sands, muds, silts, other sediments that even secular geologists are going to tell you are laid down by water. Well, we know that there was a giant watery event thousands of years ago, the great flood of Noah's day, 
And what we find in all of those sedimentary layers, it's billions of fossils, yes. fossils that were buried in that mud during the flood. Well, that's right. And yet there are people who will respond to that, those who are not believers or they're great believers in evolution, who will say, well, we have explanations for that. What kinds of explanations do you hear from these you know, evolutionists who just refuse to believe the account of Scripture when it comes to a global flood? Yeah, okay, so there's two, two uh, excuses for this. Two, I call them um, uh, rescuing devices, because they're not really explanations, they're, they're excuses. Uh, the number one excuse is going to be, well, if you look at the geological column, what you're going to see is you're going to see uh, sea creatures down at the bottom. Those were the first things to evolve out of those hydrothermal vents. Then you're going to see dinosaurs around the middle. And then towards the top, you're going to see mammals and humans and things like that. And they're going to say, well, this is clearly the record of evolution. These things evolved from sea creatures to dinosaurs to mammals and humans. (laughs) But the answer to that one is really quite simple. You see, when the Bible tells us about a flood, it says that the fountains of the great deep broke open. That means that there would have been tremendous amounts of muds and sands and silts and sediments washing across the continents in tsunami-like waves. Now, the very first thing to be buried, well, it would have been in mudslides down in the bottoms of the ocean. So there's your sea creatures. Then as that water began to encroach on land and these mudslides started to happen in the lowlands and swampy areas, well, what lived down there? Of course, the dinosaurs. And then as that water washed all the way up into the highlands and on top of the continents, then you started to bury the mammals and the humans. And all throughout that, no matter where you look throughout the geological column, you find dinosaurs and sea fossils and mammals and humans all buried together with shells and other sea creatures. So it's all mixed up with flood sediments. (laughs) That's the one big excuse. And then the other excuse that they'll say is they'll simply say, we know that these things uh, died out billions of years ago, millions and millions of years ago, because of carbon-14 dating. And sometimes they'll point to other types of dating methods, but carbon-14 is actually a Bible believer's, a Christian's best friend, because we've stuck dinosaur bones underneath these AMS microscopes, and we've been able to detect carbon-14. Well, carbon-14 can't stick around for more than a maximum of, let's just say, 70,000 years. Well, they would tell us that the dinosaurs went extinct 66-plus million years. Hmm. So in other words, the very science that they try to use to tell us that there never was a global flood is telling us that dinosaurs died out less than 70 million years ago. (laughs) That's perfectly consistent with what the Bible says, that a few thousand years ago, there was a catastrophic flood. Incredible. Well, you can read more in 21 Verses Backed by Science by David Reeves and check out his website, davidreeves.com. It's R-I-V-E-S.com. David, so interesting. It was great to have you here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Janet. All right. God bless you. And again, thanks for being with us. And thank you, too, for being with us here at Janet Mefford today. We always appreciate your tuning in. Hope you'll do so next time, and we'll see you then. This hour has been brought to you by Preborn. $28 saves one life. Call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or JanetMefford.com.